Well, good morning. It's good to uh, see all of you here, and it is great to have uh, all of you who are uh, joining us uh, online here this morning as uh, we continue to look at this uh, passage that we've been kind of working through in Romans chapter 12. And uh, just uh, thinking about the passage that I was going to tackle this morning, again, just one little verse, but it it hit me in looking at this morning's uh, passage. You know, we sit in this time right now that that this is so... um, applicable to. If I, if you know what I meant, right, with that? Um, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> like, think of it just the season we're in, right? We're, we're in this season, and really it's, it only comes around every four years, but, but right now it probably feels like it comes around a lot more often than that, and it's so filled with, like, energy and passion and tension, right? Um, but of course, all, like, it, like, it just it kind of amps up into something, doesn't it? You know, one of the things uh, I never hear people say about this time of year is like, I just love this season, right? This see, I just can't wait for the political commercials to come out, right? And all the signs, right? Yeah, um, people are just like, you know... This time of year just makes the holidays so wonderful, right? Just getting all our family together because all of those conversations are just so fun and life-giving, right? Probably not. Um, and, you know, when I talk with most people, it's, it's this thing where it's like, you know, I'd love for there to be something different, right? Every, I think everyone wants something different. And yet... Here we are again, right? We end up in this place. But, you know, there are reasons why. There are reasons why. There are things that, that we're experiencing that people in the past have experienced and people in the future are going to experience. Um, and I want to talk about that just a little bit here because we all feel it, right? That, that energy as it amps up. Have you noticed how, um, and, and I'm going to apply this way beyond just the, the political realm, right? The, the political realm right now is just is a great little illustration of all of this. But have you noticed how that cycle or that loop uh, has this way of increasing in intensity? Um, like the, the political com- co- uh, commercials, like, you know, they start ramping up and then they turn into attack ads and they just, like, it just... And, you know, there's something with that that happens uh, at any time of the year. Um, at any point, there's this kind of loop where... Uh, and maybe you've experienced this, I know I have, where there's something that just feels a little threatening. There's something that I care about and it feels like it's at stake or there's something that happened maybe uh, in a relationship and I felt wounded or slighted or something. And when we experience that, that kind of threat, like the most natural thing in the world to do is to try and protect in some way. But have you ever noticed this? Sometimes when we do something to try and protect that which we felt like was threatened in some way or injured in some way, sometimes someone else can experience what we see as protecting as creating a threat. We, like in protecting, we've created some sort of threat on their end. And what is their natural reaction to protect, right? Have you ever had... uh, Maybe something happened in a relationship. Maybe it was a friendship. And there's this tension that's been building maybe over months, maybe even over years. And if you think back, you might go, you know, I don't even know where it all started, right? 
I, I, know, I know what started the tension I'm in right now, right? There's a thing that happened last week, but the truth is that was in response to something else that happened to something else that happened. And there's this kind of loop that we can get into until it becomes this kind of loop that intensifies to a point where we begin seeing the other person in a different way, right? We look into the face of that other person and it's like they become our enemy in some way. Ever have that happen? And not just like in politics, and, 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 and for sure it happens in that at this larger scale, but maybe it's with your ex, and it's just like, yeah, this tension, this tension. Or maybe it was a close friend. Maybe it's something that's occurring on social media right now, and like you, like you get on social media and you can just feel your blood pressure go up as you're just getting, and you're just like, I can't believe they're saying that. I can't believe, like just... And we experience that. Now, I bring all of that up because where I want to go with this, in some ways, we can experience is a little bit irrelevant or, or hard to know what to do with it. Uh, think about uh, when Jesus would teach um, on a subject that maybe would deal with this, like, love your enemies. You know, and we... we study passages where Jesus talks about that. Love your enemies. Love that person who's persecuting you or is against you. And it's like we can see it applying at some level until that thing gets amped up to some point where it just, it's almost like, well, Jesus couldn't have been talking about this, right? Like, and maybe we would never say that out loud, but we sure don't know how to apply Jesus's words to the hurt that we feel or the pain that we feel, or the, you know, we become scared about something and we feel the repercussions of it. And I want to talk about that a little bit today. Um, because there's this thing that can happen, right? Someone can actually go from that enemy, right? Where we look at that person's face, you know, the face of our enemy, and suddenly they're not just an enemy. It's like they're a monster, and we get to this place that no one likes to be in. And uh, a number of years ago, uh, there was a book that I read that was really transformational uh, to me. And it deals with this subject. And, and it's not like uh, suddenly, you know, Jesus' words about loving your enemies or loving was like, oh my gosh, I didn't, I didn't get that he wanted us to love people. Like I, like, I got that. It's just what I realized was there were moments where I didn't know what to do with it. And, it, and it, was just, it wasn't transformational in my life, that I could walk through life and get caught in that loop, and somehow Jesus' teachings weren't impacting my life in that place. And reading through this story, there was some revelations for me. It's like Christ used this in a really powerful way uh, for me, in a personal way, and I want to share some of that with you today. Now, um, the story actually goes back uh, to Rwanda, back in 1994, I believe. And some of you may not even be aware of this. I was surprised out of the last service that there were folks that were, knew very little about this. But, you know, back in 1994, in a small country in Africa called Rwanda, um, there were two groups of people, uh, Hutus and Tutsis, who got into that loop over years and years and years and years until it just, it, it got to the point where there was so much hatred and uh, they just saw each other as both being monsters that genocide broke out. 
And the Hutus in virtually 100 days killed over 100,000 people in just what's describable as something that is hard for us to even fathom. But it happened. And um, out of that, there was a pastor who was the, and you've probably heard of him, his name is Desmond Tutu, um, went on and was involved in a lot of world leadership uh, things. But at that time, he was the president of of the uh, Christian Coalition of Pastors and Christian Churches for Africa. And so he gets called in in this moment on the tail end of this thing to just somehow bring healing and pastoring to this country that has just gone through something so very devastating. And uh, he gets called in specifically uh, at one moment where they know that there were a group of several hundred, I believe, uh, Tutsis that had sought refuge in a Christian church. And so he writes about this. And before he gets there, a group of Hutus showed up and ended up killing everybody in this church. Now, I'm going to read this. And I, would, I just want to acknowledge this. Like, uh, because of all things going on right now, we, we've got kids uh, in, the, uh, in the congregation right now. And uh, I just, to all of you who are kids here right now, I just want you to know, what I'm reading happened a long, long time ago. Uh, and you're safe in this place. We're, we're nowhere close to, to what is described in this. I just, I wanted to say that to any kids that are, that are listening to this. But let me, let me read to you his description of what happened when he arrived uh, on the scene uh, here. And he comes up to this church and realizes that everyone has been killed in it. He says this, the small skulls of children remain shattered on the floor. Skulls outside the church still had machetes and knives in them. The stench was beyond anything I can describe. I tried to pray, he says, but I could not. I could only cry. And, you know, you just, I picture a pastor in this moment. And I get that. Like, he's here. Like, how, how do you pastor through this? How do you what do you do in this moment? And, and the feeling of wanting to pray and unable to pray because all you can do is just cry in this moment at the pain and the tragedy of what you're seeing. And he, he goes on and he, he, writes, he writes this about the situation. He says, Rwanda, like the Holocaust and all other genocides before it, stands as a testament to our capacity for unconscionable evil. So I want to pause there and just recognize this is such an extreme example. And when I first started reading this book, and it wasn't just about Rwanda, it, it involved a number of different things. But when I first read this, it just, it was so extreme to me that I'm just like, I, I don't even know what to do with this. This is so far from anything I've ever had to deal with. Hope I never am called to have to pastor through a tragedy so deep and so awful. Hope none of you ever have to uh, come even close to something like this. But something happened with me, is that it, it was such an extreme example, and so at first it just seemed like it, it was out of touch with things that I might study about, you know, Jesus talking about, you know, loving others, loving those that, you know, are your enemy. But something happened as I started to read more and understand how they walked through this that the extremeness of the example 
actually became a very empowering thing. Um, and, and before I go on with this, I want to read the passage that we're going to look at uh, this morning, because in some ways, I think this passage, uh, written by a, a man by the name of Paul, what Paul is doing in the, and again, it's one simple uh, uh, sentence, is just applicating, just applicating some of the teachings of Jesus about love. And that's how I want us to see this passage uh, this morning. But um, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to read the verse here. Just one simple sentence we're going to look at this morning. Here's what he says. Verse 14. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You know, and again, man, you think about that verse and you're just like, wow, that just feels like that falls so far short of being able to deal with the reality of something like what Desmond Tutu and what the people of Rwanda were trying to navigate. So Desmond uh, comes in and he becomes one of many leaders that now have to create a kind of process to try and pull Rwanda up out of the ashes of this horrific thing that has happened. And in a really unique way that doesn't happen often in our world today in tragedies like this, uh, Desmond Tutu literally went back and helped create a process that was built straight out of the teachings of Jesus to say, here is a way forward, a way forward for victims, but also criminals, also those that were perpetrating these terrible acts. And so as they built this way forward out of the ashes, uh, you kind of get to all of a sudden understand the power of Jesus and his words and what he was doing. And, and kind of the foundational place that they started with in this, um, Desmond describes as he goes back to when Jesus was on the cross, that Jesus is on the cross and he is suffering this horrible, horrible death, right? Like, it is torturous. It ends in death. And, and it's like if anyone ever had the opportunity to say, I, th these people are terrible people. They, they are beyond redemption. These, the people that are doing this, like, no one would fault Jesus for anything he would do or say in that because he was 100% innocent, and what Desmond Tutu points out is, and here's Jesus, and his prayer, his prayer to God is, Father, forgive them because they don't understand what they're doing. He, he, in, in all matter of fact, he's praying a prayer of blessing for the very people that were doing this, like this and, and so there are these two truths that come out of this, okay? And if you think about what Jesus did in this moment, one, he modeled the truth that you can bless anyone, right? If Jesus in that moment could bless someone else, right? And, and don't get caught up in, in the idea that, but like, I'm, I'm so far from Jesus, you know, Jesus could do these amazing things. I want you to think about it from the other side. If Jesus looked at those people that had done what they did to him and said, even they, even they need blessing. 
you know, there's, there's no one that's ever hurt me. There's no one that I've ever looked at and said, man, I can't believe what they believe. I can't believe what they're standing for. I can't believe how they hurt me or hurt someone else. They shouldn't be allowed to have blessing. What Jesus modeled is no. Every, everyone. No one is so far from God that God wouldn't want blessing for them. The second thing is that he reveals that God has created something of redeemable value within everyone's personhood. Jesus could look at those that were responsible, you know, for killing the Son of God and say, there is something redeemable in them. There is something that God created in their personhood. They are, they are still the Imago Dei, right? That, that, that he could see that, that no one in the end is, is so evil that they're beyond redemption, that they're beyond that there's not something good in them. And part of the takeaway for me as I walked through this, this story and started understanding how this is how they moved forward in this, they looked at everyone as redeemable that there was this truth that just hit me so squarely, and it's this. Everyone, no matter what monstrous thing they have done, is not a monster in God's eyes or a monster to God. No, one's, no one is a monster. And, and the reason that was, like there was a part of that that when it hit me, I realized that there was a part of me that I could get caught in those loops at times. I could be so frustrated with someone. I could see someone doing something that I felt was wrong. Or it just, I, I could reach a point where I started discounting their value in some way. I could still treat them nice in some way, right? But I could view them in my heart and my mind as a monster. And there was something about this story that I realized if you hold that people can be a monster, then out of this story, there's no coming back from what happened in Rwanda. And yet they made their way back. It's a story, it's a, it's a shame that this story isn't told more because there's a story of healing. There is a story of how people found forgiveness, right? It's not that, you know, uh, thing, you know, uh, crimes were swept under the rug. In fact, the opposite happened. But instead of living out of revenge or a kind of justice that said this is justice against monsters, it was saying that we have to find a way back to the kind of beauty that God was creating in us and calling us to in the first place. Desmond writes this. this. This is how he follows that last quote that I read from you. Um, it, the, the ending was this line. I want to read to you what he writes right after this. So I read to you before this. It says, Rwanda, like the Holocaust and all, all other genocides before it, stands as a testament to our capacity for unconscionable evil. Here's what he says next. And yet, our ability to forgive and heal stands as a rejoinder or as a, as a testimony that we are not made for evil, but for goodness. These spasms of cruelty and violence, hatred and ruthlessness are the exception, not the rule of our human lives. And his point was, our way back to what we were created for is found in Jesus Christ. That when Jesus says you can love your enemies, 
He wasn't saying that as a lofty ideal that could never be experienced on this earth. What he was saying is, when we get caught in those moments where we're just, we're caught up in the, in the frustration or the pain or the anger, like, and however it is, if it's individualistic, if it's within a society, if it's with something like this, there's a tangible way to move forward that really can bring healing, really can bring good things in it. And for me, that became the transformational thing in all of this. It, it came down to this. In seeing what Christ did in an entire country like Rwanda, if the power of Christ was strong enough to bring healing to people who lost their whole families and the pain and the suffering that went on there, then I came away and I was like, that is so extreme. And yet, if Christ was powerful enough there, he is powerful enough for whatever I need in my life. And friends, Jesus is powerful enough to bring healing and forgiveness and connectedness and wholeness in your life. And Desmond Tutu would be the first one to say, that doesn't mean that every relationship gets, you know, restored right back to where it was before. And, and just, he said, but it will bring it back to a place where you can let go of it, where you find forgiveness. Maybe the relationship goes on together, or maybe it's a relationship that is released and you get to go on, but you go on whole. You go on, and what you're not still caught in is that ugly loop where you're just filled with all this residual anger and frustration and fear. It's like you get to go away and put the fear down and get out of that terrible loop of things, see? And that's the thing that I want for you. I want you, like, if you think about right now, where is that spot in your life where you experience that the most right now? Is it maybe, uh, maybe it's in your marriage right now and you just, you're just like, my gosh, I just don't know if my marriage is going to make it. It's just like we keep spinning. There's hope. Maybe it's with one of your kids and, and things have happened. Maybe it's with your ex. Maybe, maybe, it, maybe it is in the political realm. Like you wake up every morning and you're just like, you are just filled with this negative energy and worry and fear. I want you to know, like, there's a way forward. There's a way forward Without giving up your convictions, without giving up what you've experienced, there's a way forward where you get to experience something good. There's a way forward where you get to see Christ do something that you would describe as healing. So I want to talk about just two ways to step forward in that, like just like where to start that journey. And I'm going to go back to just exactly what Paul says here, right? Um, in fact, I'm going, to, I'm going to just use his words in here, just kind of two points of application in all of this. And the first one is this, bless those who persecute you, right? And, and I know it's just like, like, bless those who persecute you. And he's not just talking about like saying good words. Oftentimes we think about bless as just like, okay, I'll say like a few nice words about you. Ever been to a funeral where um, there is someone who was mean to everyone, who almost no one liked, and then you go to the funeral and everyone says all of these wonderful things about them. And you're just like, what's going on? Never been to that? I've performed funerals like that, okay? Where it's just like, after that, you're just like, man, I don't think very many people like that guy. They said some really nice things at the funeral, okay? They didn't mean them, okay, but they said them because that's what you're supposed to do at a funeral. That's not what he's talking about here. This is not like, okay, there's that, you know, my neighbor who I really don't like at all. 
Paul said, you know, bless those who persecute me, you know, and so I'm going to go say some nice things to him, you know, and then I'm going to go say some nasty things about him to my other neighbors. That's what I'm going to do, right? That's not what this is. Um, this, uh, this idea that Paul would be getting back to blessing actually goes back to this idea of God bestowing favor and good things on his human creation, right? Um, Paul would go all the way back to Genesis on this idea. This idea. It's this way of saying, uh, where is there something that I could actually bring that would be uh, good or hopeful in this moment, right? That, that to actually see that other person and say, you know what? Um, I wonder what would be good in their life. And maybe there's something that I can bring. Maybe, maybe the, you know, this person, they, maybe they just need some encouragement. Maybe I'll pray for them. Maybe that's the first step for you with this person, right? You're just like, okay, Glenn, actual words to their face that are nice? No, I'm not there yet, okay? But maybe you could actually start praying for them, right? And sometimes people, uh, when, when we talk about this, sometimes people just say, that just feels like weakness. That just feels like I'm letting them off the hook, right? Just anybody, it's just, are we just ignoring it? And what I want to say is no. In fact, the other thing I think is actually the weak thing. To stay in that pattern of the, uh, the, like the feeling fearful about something, of seeing something that is threatening and then trying to protect it in some way that comes after the other person, that's, that's actually the weaker thing most often in this. Um, I have a friend who is a doctor and a scientist, and he's brilliant with this stuff. He's written a book on how God made the human brain, and he brings this amazing Christian perspective uh, to this. And uh, I'm going to so oversimplify uh, what he has written uh, about the human brain on this, but I'm going to, but partly because I need it simplified for me, but I think it just, it would help for all of us. You know, there, he would say there is a part of our brain, he, and he would call it like a system one. And think of this as the more, um, this is like the lizard part of our brain, right? This is the basics. This is, this is the part of your brain that helps things happen, and you don't even have to be conscious of it, right? Uh, breathing and heartbeat and this sort of thing. But a part of that part of our mind and how God made us, this is where we get protective, right? This is where we feel anger, and this is where we feel that, those protection. This is where we respond in those ways. And what you see when we get caught in this kind of a loop that you see, whether it's politics, whether it's in those relationships where we get hurt and we say those things that we're just like, I didn't mean that, right? And you know what? There's some truth to that. Even though in the moment the other person may go, well, yes, you did. Otherwise, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have said it if you didn't mean it. But the reality is there's probably a part of, right, of your lizard brain and my lizard brain that that's just the reaction because part of what God did with that was he created a part of our brain that, that is meant to, to protect us. And you know what? It serves us so well at the right moments. If a bear is chasing you, that's the part of your brain you want operating and wide awake in that moment because it's going to help you immensely in that moment. But when you're trying to navigate woundedness and hurt in a relationship that matters, when we're trying to be good citizens, when we're trying to bring something good to our community, that's not always the part of our brain that serves us the, the best because it's reactionary and it doesn't operate off of deeper values. And what my friend would say is there's another part of your brain that God created, right? 
And that part of your brain has the ability in conscious ways to embrace values and beliefs at the most noble of levels and be able to make choices, even if they're painful, even if they're worrisome, because there is something you value more, that you value a human life, you value another human being, and you say, even though I'm hurt by them, I'm not going to act in fear and with vitriol. I'm not going to label them. I'm not going to turn them into some monster that justifies all of this fear that I have. And, and that, you know, I'm not going to talk about them behind their back in this way that builds me. I'm going to actually make these other choices. And friends, those choices, those are hard. Those are choices that, like, you have to struggle and fight through things, right? Those are the courageous choices. So when Paul says, bless those who persecute you, what he's asking us to do is to step out of that part of our brain, right, that is just that reactionary part, and he's saying, okay, you got to think about this. To bless is to go back to Genesis. It is to recognize what God has done uh, to this way. He doesn't just say do good things to them. When he says to bless them, he's asking us to go back and get in touch with how God would see them. And you can do that, right? There's moments where if you're at that spot, you're just like, I don't see one good thing about that person. They've hurt me so many times. I can't. And those are great moments to go back and say, you know, I can bless them because even though I can't see it, don't feel it. I know God can. I know, right? We can think this with that system two part of our brain, that when Jesus died on that cross, he was looking at that person too. He even, right, you can just say this and laugh to yourself. You can just say, you know, that political party you don't belong to, that you think's crazy and nutty, you can even say to yourself, Jesus was even thinking about them, right? He even loves them, right? And you can laugh about it. But it's like all of a sudden you can say, so you know what, God, help me. Help me to see how I could do something good in their life. And it doesn't mean that you let go of your deepest beliefs or convictions. It's just... You let go of that label that they're a monster. You let go of the idea that they would be 100% terrible or bad in all of this. Second thing in this, second thing in this uh, is the second half of that verse where he simply says, uh, bless and do not curse. And I love that he does this, right? He says, bless those who, uh, who persecute you. And it's like, he's like, yeah, I said that, but you know... They're gonna, we're going to take steps to bless, and then we're going to be pulled right back into that loop. And, and right, the idea of curse is this idea of actually stripping dignity away. It is, it is that idea of stripping blessing away. It is that weird kind of loop. You, like, like to curse someone is, to, is just to throw yourself into that loop in there, right? And so what he's saying is, okay, you need to do some good stuff, right? Learning how to pray for them, maybe even say, maybe even do some nice things to them, listen to him, try and understand him, but you also have to break the loop. Do not curse, he's saying, right? And maybe at the heart and soul of breaking that curse, like do not curse, is this idea of coming back to this truth that no one is a monster. People can do monstrous, uh, monstrous things, Right? People can do terrible, terrible things. 
but that's different than who they are. And that simple distinction becomes really important. And if you can hold that in your mind, all of a sudden it's like you can break that loop in some really powerful ways. And you know, the beauty of it is when we break that loop, it's not just what we do for that person. Oftentimes we think of it as like, okay, but like, I, just, I think they're a monster because I look at the, the terrible things that they've done. It's like they have no conscience. It's like they just don't care. And we go down that road, and that's the road we can go down. And can I tell you, there have been so many times I've sat in my office uh, with uh, couples or one person, and they think of their spouse. Like, I've, I've literally had them say, you know, there's nothing good about my spouse anymore. He or she's not the person I married. They're just like there. And they just, and in the emotion of everything, it's like this person that, that they once loved and gave their life to. They just, they're at this place where they're just like, they're all bad, right? And I remember being a young pastor so many years ago, I'm being like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. It's just like, it's just, and you know, I don't believe that anymore. When someone says that to me now, I, like, I listen, but the thing that I know now is, that's just not true. No one becomes all bad. Like, we all have those spots in us. We all can become hurt to some level where that's what it seems like. But you know what? When we continue to see them in that way, in some ways, it's what it does to us that can be so detrimental. Like, we block ourselves off from being set free. We block ourselves from experiencing the, uh, receiving forgiveness. We block ourselves off from feeling what it is like to experience the freedom of Christ to be wounded and yet be able to move forward. We just, we lose the joy of other relationships, right? There's all of these things. And one of the things that I thought was so insightful about Desmond Tutu, he is trying to walk this whole country through this way of finding a way to forgive those that had done this. Imagine talking to leaders, right, of whom their families and communities were so devastated. And he says, we've got to find a way to, to find forgiveness for these people, right? And you can just, like, can you imagine him showing up to, you know, a town hall meeting and saying, so, you know, before we start holding court, I want us to think about how will we find a way to forgive the people? You know, like, that's when, like, just, like, let's run them out of town. Are you kidding me, right? But his point was, you need this. If the survivors of Rwanda are to rise out of the ashes, it's because they have to break the cycle. Or it will be their souls that become captive. It'll be their souls, not just their bodies that are wounded. Like, and he understood this great truth. It is why Jesus could live without fear. You ever notice that? Jesus lived in crazy political times too. Jesus lived with people that betrayed him at the deepest levels. And yet he never got caught in that terrible loop. And I think it's because his ability to forgive, it always set him free. And in being free, he was free of fear, and in being free of fear, he was always free to love because he didn't have to hate to deal with the hurt. And I want that for you. And maybe the first step for you is just to step out and say, I'm going to find a way to just embrace the truth that there is something that God formed and fashioned in that human being and even if they did something that was horrible or terrible, 
That is their, that is their actions. It is their choices. But in the end, it is not the full identity of who they are. And God sees something redeemable in them. And therefore, I'm going to open my heart to break the cycle, to bless them in whatever way I can. Because maybe through all of this, you'll come to find that as you look in the face of your enemy, you'll see your brother. You'll see someone that's very similar to you. I'm going to ask our worship team to come out. I want to close a little differently this morning. Um, Because I just know there's this easy disconnect between Paul's words and Jesus' words from our own situations, right? It's... It's easy at times to work out this idea that, okay, you know, Jesus talked about loving your enemies, and I can see how someone else could do that. But if you're like me, when I experience that in a very personal way in my life, it's hard to connect his words emotionally with the reality. Because what I need most is to get out of my lizard brain and into that part of my brain that God created that holds and embraces the deepest of values, that part of my brain that is filled with faith in God and make some choices out of that. And so here's what I want us to do. I want us to go through, there's a song and a sketch, like a mime that they've prepared. Let it just pull the emotional you and the intellectual you together on this idea of Jesus teaching that you can love your enemies, but pulling it to that place where you feel it and experience it. And maybe in that moment where they come together, Jesus' words and Paul's application becomes transformational in how you live. You know, you think about the season of life that we're all in right now. You know what the world would really could use a lot of right now? It would be people that could really live differently. Like, like part of the message of what Paul is saying in that passage is that thing, that loop that maybe you feel like you get caught in all of the time, you really can do something different. And I want to challenge us now as a church, not just as an individual here, but as a church, because I think our community needs it, our neighborhoods need it, our families need it, right? So have some fun with this even, right? Uh, we're coming, it's not going to be long, we're going to be in the holiday season, right? And don't you just love when the holiday season overlaps with the political season, right? Because, right, think of all the Thanksgiving meals out there where everyone's just like, oh man, I hope the issue of politics doesn't come up because, you know, it's just, you know, and you just think, right, and we just think of all those things. So, you get to do something different. You get to do something different at Christmas time and Thanksgiving and, you know, all the things that are going to happen here. And do that. Have fun with that. Insert yourself in a different way. And it doesn't mean that you give up convictions or beliefs that you have. It's just you get to enter into it in a way that sees people differently. Imagine what would happen if there was like a political conversation that went on that wasn't wholesale making one group all bad and one all group uh, good. Like, what if there could just be people that could just see people in it and understand, like, we're going to have disagreements in this. But we need good things for everyone. 
And there's goodness in everyone. There may be some badness too. There's bad choices. And but what if you were a blessing to people that agreed with you and disagreed with you? What if you were a blessing to even those that have maybe hurt you? What if you became like a loop breaker every place you went? And we as a church just were spreading that. I think um, our community would just eat that up because that's the kind of community that we want to be. And the beauty of it is we get to be that. We get to be that. Let me, let me close this out in prayer here. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I just thank you for everyone that's joining us online right now, and I thank you for everyone who joined us in this room. And I pray for all of us that you really would bring together in the best part of what you created in us, that understanding of what your son Jesus Christ taught and challenged us to in being able to love and bless others. And I pray that you would connect it with that part of our heart and our mind at that deep emotional level where we can embrace it, where we can, where we can hold hope in it and see it and live it out in these coming days, weeks, and months. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.